And so one thing we talk about with our kids is like, does this make you feel good? And this is what we talk about was like negative emotions, right? Like, does it feel good to be angry? Does it make you more efficient to be angry? There are very, very few scenarios in which emotions like anger are going to make you more efficient or make you happier in the long run. Maybe with something like Reese's could be different. I disagree. I think it's very rarely of utility. And so we talk through, okay, well, if it doesn't make you happy, what can we do to get over it? And the, the core thing that gets over an emotion like that is one, contextualizing it is not appropriate. And two, interrupting it. A lot of emotions are just feed cycles, like a can of Pringles. Once you pop, you can't stop. And just about walking away from the Pringles, having a glass of milk. So our, our kid, three, when he gets angry, we're like, well, do you want to keep being angry or do you want to take a few breaths? And so he'll go, no, I want to take a few breaths. And so we'll go, and it helps it pass. Would you like to know more? Hello, gorgeous. Hello, Simone. Today, we are going to talk about our little theories on how different emotions work. And I wanted to start with humor. Do you humor. want to go into our thesis on how the humor emotion works? Yes, but first I have to credit you because you are the one who came up with this. And I think it's so endearing how you did. It was all by observing our children and discovering what it was that made them laugh, which was really interesting. Mm -hmm. So your, your theory and model of humor, which you are going to articulate better than me after I sum it up poorly, is that that which is funny is something that is surprising, but it makes sense. Yes. And I think that there's two other types of humor that exist where comedians sometimes get trapped with them, but they're not mm. actual humor. Mm. One is a I'm scared response, mm -hmm. uh, which is really bad, but like a lot of, you get in in really like tense situations where like you are socially scared or like actually threatened and like laughing to deescalate, to be like, oh, I'm not threatening. One, you see this in children, but in adults as well. And I think a lot of comedians, they'll, they'll build these routines that are really like emotionally cringe because they see people laughing at them. But that is not, that is not like a pleasant laughter. I yeah. think for most people who experience it, obviously the human experience is really broad and, and these comedians are appealing to somebody. And one is somebody is breaking social norms and mm. you are laughing because you're kind of threatened by the fact- To decrease that tension, kind of. Yeah, where it creates tension and, and people are breaking social norms. So this other type of humor is one where you will be much more likely to laugh at almost anything somebody says if you're attracted to them. Um, so if you are attracted or aroused by somebody, you will just laugh at anything they say sometimes. And this is to, I, I guess, convince them. One, one of my favorite studies on this showed that both women and men said they appreciated a sense of humor in a partner. But for women, what that meant is that the person could make them laugh. But what the men meant by this is that the person laughed at their jokes. And that's what Isn't they that sweet? That's, I just um, find that so sweet. That's so cute. I don't know. It's, it's sociopathic. I mean, I maybe or uh, okay, anyway, but so the main type of humor, the type that you should be aiming for as a comedian is this makes sense within the context that has been built for me. So in, in, a, in a fictional world, you can build a fictional world where things deviate along certain lines. An example here would be like SpongeBob SquarePants, right? Like that's a somewhat consistent fictional world with rules, right? And so something can make sense in that fictional context but still be very surprising to you and thus cause you to, to laugh. Like you're like, oh, I didn't expect that, but it makes sense. And these are the best, the best types of, of, of humor with this is humor where it's like an idea you're not supposed to think. And that's why it was surprising to you where you're like, oh, I, oh my God, what? Uh, like, so yeah, all the all the cancelable Netflix such, slash HBO comedy specials that involve like people 
shitting a brick because someone says stuff they're not supposed to say. It's humor that's that's surprising, but it makes sense because it's something that you're not allowed to say, but it's kind of true. And that's where that kind of humor comes from. Yeah, then yeah, there's like, like words in context, yeah. but you're not supposed to say that. So it mm -hmm. surprised me to hear that. Mm -hmm. uh, but you can also subvert this. Like you're going to say one thing, like the people think the joke, oh, I know where the joke is going to end. And then you go in another direction and that right. surprise, but makes sense in the other direction it went in is, is, is funny. It's especially funny if it really makes sense for a character. So you can mm -hmm. also do this with a character where a character is in a situation where you think, oh, there's a generic way that people respond in this situation, but mm -hmm. this character then responds in a different way that is surprising, but makes sense given the priors they've set up around that character. Well, and then there's the word-based ones, like a, a lot of dad jokes or like word puns, like, oh, how do you know it's a dad joke? I don't know. How do, how do I know it, it's a dad It's a parent. <laughs> Oh, but you oh. see right there, it fits the theory of humor that we have, which is that was surprising. I didn't mm -hmm. expect it, but it made mm -hmm. sense. And yeah. what, where I think that really makes you laugh is it makes sense along multiple spectrums. Exactly, exactly. And, and there's another type of humor that I particularly like in which it's more like a narrative-based humor where a comedian will describe something even pretty mundane in life, but just using words that are not the typical words used to describe it. A really good example of this is describing snakes as danger noodles. Yes, and it's yes, like, where you're like oh, <laughs> oh but yeah, like it is, it is funny because it, it is a danger noodle. Not danger, saying, yeah. Like normally you'd be like, it is a snake, don't touch it. But saying danger noodle, not safe to boop sounds like, oh, it's surprising, but it makes sense. And I love or, it. And oh, I'm a great example of this, you want to talk spicy, is, is Bronze Age Pervert. <laughs> One of the things you liked in his book was that he would write his comedic hormones. misspellings. Yeah, like he he spells hormones W H O R E M O E N S, and it's funny because it's surprising, but it makes sense. Well, it makes sense given the character that he has set up for himself yeah. in these books, and how much yes. of this is his actual character or not, I don't know. Yeah, but it makes sense in regards to his character. Um, mm -hmm. So even with us, we might do things like, oh, well, there's nothing more perverse than building a relationship on love, and and people laugh at that because they know that we're like this really anti. Uh, they're like, oh, that makes sense. Anti -love. The characters I know of them, right? So they they laugh at that. Okay, so we've gone over humor. Any humor. other areas you want to touch on on humor? No, but I, I would love to hear no, if you I comments, would, I would other people's theories. If you think that this is like, next time you watch something that you think is funny or something like that, watch for these different types of humors. And personally, something to always be vigilant was, especially if you're a guy while you're flirting, is there a big difference if somebody laughing because they're aroused, laughing because you're in this one like good type of humor and laughing because they're terrified of you? Oh, that's big. Yeah, because like, so so some, some people say, okay, well, men and sometimes women have a fight or flight response when very threatened, but women may also have a tend or, or, or befriend response. And I know that for sure, when I am in pain, I am smiling and laughing. When I'm terrified, I am smiling and laughing. So I, yeah, that is a really important point to bring up, Malcolm. I'm really glad you brought it well, up. Some guys optimize around it because they're like, oh, I understand how to be funny with women now. No, no. And really what they've learned is how to absolutely terrify people in their own dates. Yeah. Um, not great, not great. Yeah, not, not a great thing to accidentally learn. Uh, no. Side note, how and why did humor evolve? So I think our kids offer a great example of this because this is where I really came up with the theory was in interacting with our kids and seeing that when I did something that was surprising and made sense, you know, the kids would start to laugh. And my theory here is that the laughing that the kids are doing is saying to the adult, 
What you just did has almost clicked for me, but it hasn't totally clicked yet. It sort of makes sense, but it's still surprising in context. So I'm giving you this positive reward mechanism, e.g. seeing me laugh, so that you repeat what you just did until it stops being funny, or, you know, in the case of kids, it's no longer surprising. Then the question is, okay, then why did it continue to adults? And one of the things we always say is evolution is a cheap programmer. And I suspect here that the reason why this didn't end in adults, probably similar to like lactose intolerance, you know, that's something that was supposed to be edited out of adults, but then, you know, within certain populations stayed in adults and it, it, it kept in the adult population, um, is that this not stopping laughing thing was actually a courtship ritual where... Uh, it probably started primarily women to men, given the other things we talked about, where a woman would laugh at something the guy had just done, which was basically a sign to the guy, oh, do that again, in the same way that kids would do it again. So they were hijacking the pre-existing parental system to get the guy to redo specific behavior, um, and it increased the bonds of the relationship more quickly, which led to more efficient courtship rituals. How about let, let's talk about... Offense. We love offense. Offense is a great emotion. We right? built a whole so, holiday around offense. Why don't, why don't you go into our thoughts on offense? Right. So we think offense is so delicious and so wonderful and so important to lean into because it is a sign that an idea credibly threatens your worldview. So for example, the, people often think an offensive thing is just an insulting thing or just a repugnant thing, which is not true. For example, if somebody called me um, a fat cow, I would be like not offended at all because I can tell like from my weight, from my BMI, I am technically not fat. However, if someone called me ugly, I would be offended because I kind of know that I'm ugly. So you are not ugly, but because you, you're my husband, you're, you're so perfect. Well, even in a world in which I wasn't ugly, although my face is technically deformed, so I am technically ugly and I have acne and all these other things. I, this is what I'm still acne looks like. I, I, I just covered it up with makeup, actually. I was like, I can't deal with seeing this on camera. I never see it. Anyway, I, I would still, I am, I am female and it is cultural tradition to think that you're ugly as a female. So anyway, if someone said that to me, it would be offensive because it, it threatens my worldview that I would like to think of myself as someone attractive because I am very vain. And yet, I, I kind of know that's not true. So yeah. like that's offense. And why offense is so important is we strongly believe from our, our value set that if you are wrong, you should, you should change your mind. You should be corrected. And, and things are only offensive if you kind of in the back of your mind are like, you're not sure that it's totally wrong. And this is especially true with ideologies. So mm -hmm. ideologies are particularly offensive. If they're yeah, like if you're a climate change believer and someone's like climate change is a hoax, that's very offensive. Well, if you, you think of them, they're stupid or just like out, but if, if it generates that offense emotion in you, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then it means there's likely something there that you're afraid of engaging with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and afraid is the wrong word. That you are reflexively protecting yourself against engaging with. Mm -hmm. That is what the offense emotion does. And some cultures really prey on this, where mm -hmm. they create this mindset in people because different cultures they spread like a sort of mimetic viruses, right? And some obviously these viruses, like once they've infected a person, one of the ways they prevent other cultures or mimetic sets for coming in and displacing them is they train the person and recondition the person to see all offense as violence or much more threatening than it is to them 
so that they do not engage with any idea that might be offensive to them, where offense in this context really just means threatening to the virus, mm-hmm. capable of dislodging the virus. And so you'll get these entire communities that are based around protecting oneself, right? Exactly. Uh, so, so what they'll do is they'll say, this person said something offensive. They won't even know, but then the entire community that's infected with this virus just won't engage with any content that person is producing mm-hmm. because that's even better. Like once the virus says, okay, if somebody does something that's offensive to anyone within our community, we know they might be capable of dislodging the virus from any other individual in the community. And therefore we need to train our community to not engage with them. And that yeah. is the very last thing. If I'm creating an intergenerationally durable culture for my kids. I want it to survive because it it's the best. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to survive because it... It, it, it prevented them from engaging with any other idea. And, and, and again, this is something you see with, with everything from ultra, ultra progressive community to some like religious cults, right? This idea of don't engage with anything that offends any member of our community. Now, after offense, a great emotion is anger. Do you want to go into what causes anger in people? Yes. And it is not as Yoda says, fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate and hate leads to suffering. It's not. Malcolm again came up with this theory because he's the one who's capable of complex. I'm the psychology nerd. I'm the modeling people. No, you're you're the one who can miraculously and amazingly like think things through five steps ahead, whereas I'm like barely even with the the current stuff. But anyway, your theory for anger, and I definitely think this this aligns, and it also aligns well with the other models, is people become angry when they are not treated in line with their expectations. And this can be, and at first I was like, I don't really understand this because I don't really expect anyone to treat me a certain way because I kind of just don't trust or like anyone. I just assume people are going to be complete bastards. You don't really get angry. Well, so that's why I usually don't get angry, but there have been instances in which I felt extremely angry, like literally cried with rage. And every time I find myself literally crying with rage, it is when I have to deal with a bureaucracy. It's when I have to deal with the DMV. It's mm-hmm. when I have to file paperwork. It's when I'm at a hospital and they're not doing the scan that I want because there's there's some weird thing that like didn't get filled out that is exactly for the requirements or my insurance isn't paying for it the right way or something like that. And these are all the times that I have cried with rage and it is because i i don't believe systems should be so massively inefficient and i think that systems should treat humans in a different and more efficient way so I, even then it's not just people not treating you in the way that you expect it could be even life circumstances not treating you yeah of this happening with a a non-sentient object could be like a car like you're mm-hmm. twisting it and it makes a little bit of noise like it's about to turn on and it doesn't turn on well, you expect mm-hmm. a car to on when you turn the keys yes you get angry how dare or, this car yes you want you're going to punch turn, the car yeah it doesn't turn on when you're hitting the remote or you see this classically with something like a golfer right so they're trying to hit the ball and you think they're following all the steps to hit the ball right and it just doesn't go right and they get angrier and angrier every time it doesn't go right which again affects them more and they get angrier still but where this sort of anger can become really problematic is when you have a society in which there are mismatched expectations. Mm. So one place this gets really toxic is in relationships. When one person has an expectation that their partner treats them in a certain way, and then the partner doesn't treat them in that way, and it causes an anger response. And then that anger response, because the other person doesn't expect the person to get angry, they think they're treating them within the cultural expectations of what they expect in terms of how they expected they were supposed to treat their partner in a relationship. And then that generates anger in them. 
and then this other person's like, you why are you angry? You're the one who wasn't doing what you were supposed to do. And then that generates anger in them. And this is why things like relationship contracts, point of another podcast, are so absolutely critical. But you also have this in the real world. So an example of where I would, would, would talk about here is, is proper pronouns in, in terms uh... of misgendering is one person, this happens when you have mismatched cultures where there is like a persistent mismatch of cultures where one cultural group thinks that they're supposed to be gendered one way and another cultural mm -hmm. group thinks that gendering should be done in another way. And so the, the one group genders the way they think that they're supposed to gender and then this generates anger in the other group because they're not, and then they get angry and then the other group thinks that they're not supposed to be corrected on these sorts of things so then they get angry. And you can create this sort of like, pointless persistent anger which, which is caused by cultural expectations now another instance in which anger gets really bad is is when it's reinforced as the correct emotion within people so another time you'll hear oh. angry is when they culturally feel validated in that anger so mm -hmm. one of the things that i've experienced before and i don't know if other people have is somebody else comes to you and they're like, oh, you should be really angry about that. And you weren't really angry before. And then you start to get angry because they've created this narrative that the anger is justified. Mm -hmm. And that's why one of the worst things a partner can do is if you come home and you tell them about someone at work who, who, who is pissing you off, is tell you, oh, you're justified in those emotions because then those emotions build and they get worse. You're, you're not making it better by doing that instead of talking through, why do you think they're doing this? Is there intention to slight you? Is it a cultural mismatch, mis mismatch in expectation? I mean, yeah. of course, same as misgendering, same as office. If a person could be doing it as, a, as an intention to slight you, they could be doing it to make you angry because for some reason you're part of a different cultural tribe than them and they think your cultural tribe's enemies, so they're going to like just do whatever they can to hurt you. Yeah. But in other instances, it could just be that they're a different cultural group than you. Yeah, actually, let's, let's dig into this. Both like the the ways you can feed um, emotions and yeah. when that's toxic and when that's good. Because in our family, for example, we're very strict about not condoning feeding negative emotions. And so you'd think that sort of like in general as a family, we're like super emotionally oppressive and just like shut it down, don't feel it, et cetera. But we actually invest a ton in feeding positive emotions. Like you, Malcolm, are constantly leaning into playfulness, joy, gratitude. You're constantly complimenting me. You're constantly making me feel like the most beautiful person in the room, the best well, parent ever. Really, I don't do that just to masturbate those emotional subs. Right, you do it functionally. Like efficient. there's a functional reason for it. I mean, you work for me and you're more efficient when you're happy. So I- But no, it. that's the thing. That's it, the thing. It's for my own benefit. I, well, it is, but, and that's the, what we want, we want to optimize for here is sociopathic use of emotions, right? So like people have heard about probably the, the like the punching bag study where like when, when people were encouraged to- people punch... haven't heard of this. So talk okay. about it because almost everybody gets this wrong. Right. So, so a lot of people believe that sort of like, if you let off steam, you are reducing like emotional built up pressure and well, therefore like you will feel a punching bag for yeah. you. Whereas it was found instead in, in, in one study that when people were encouraged to let their anger out on something like a punching bag that actually increased their anger versus that they just did something else like a control activity. So it, this, this basically is, is to imply that if you lean into an emotion, if you indulge it, if you, if you talk with people who are like, yeah, you should be mad. Like you, you like yell or scream, it's going to make it worse. Kind of, we, we think 
focusing with grief, crying, being offended, all these things you can feed. Well, but I mean, let's talk about anger for a second here, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. In terms of, of, of how you let that eat at you. You know, when, when my kid gets angry, right? He'll get angry because something doesn't align with his expectations or he's in a bad overlay state. What does an overlay state mean? So an overlay state is with like the filter that all your emotions are coming through. Mm -hmm. uh, think of it like a tint on your glasses or something like that. That makes everything redder or something. Now, humans can experience these for reasons that they don't have conscious access to. So a great example is you can inject someone with adrenaline and they will be more irritable it, it basically get angrier more easily at things, even if they know they were injected with adrenaline. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't help it. Like right now, I'm 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 experiencing insanely high levels of estrogen because we're doing egg retrieval with IVF, and I'm like literally injecting like pretty significant amount. Yeah, and you get hormones. angry much much. You almost never normally get angry. Like I'm behaving horribly, and I know I'm behaving horribly, but I also can't seem to help it. So overly state acting as this filter. So kids, yeah. this happens a lot. They'll know they're feeling bad, but they won't be able to put a finger on why. So every mm -hmm. little thing they're like, oh, kind of like that door closed and they'll get really angry that the door is open, like close the door. And then you close the door and they look around and the anger hasn't gone away. And so they're like, give me that egg. Like that's the new thing that they absolutely have to have. And so one thing we talk about with our kids is like, does this make you feel good? And this is what we talk about was like negative emotions, right? Like, does it feel good to be angry? Does it make you more efficient to be angry? There are very, very few scenarios in which emotions like anger are going to make you more efficient or make you happier in the long run. Maybe with something like grief, this could be different. I disagree. I think it's very rarely of utility. And so we talk through, okay, well, if it doesn't make you happy, what can we do to get over it? And the, the core thing that gets over an emotion like that is one, contextualizing it is not appropriate, and two, interrupting it. A lot of emotions are just feed cycles, like a can of Pringles. Once you pop, you can't stop. And just about walking away from the Pringles, having a glass of milk. So our, our kid, three, when he gets angry, we're like, well, do you want to keep being angry or do you want to take a few breaths? And so he'll go, no, I want to take a few breaths. And so he'll go, and it helps it pass. Now, the final emotion I wanted to talk about here was shame. Shame. So shame happens when you yourself don't live up to the self-image you have of yourself. So we all have these images of the type of people we want to be or the type of people we want other people to see us as. And we feel this shame emotion when we don't live up to that self-image. And this can be a persistent problem when a culture creates a emotion, a, 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 an expectation of ourselves, which is just completely unreasonable. Which, which some cultures do. They just create these completely unrealistic expectations of us. And then they use those to beholden us to the culture because we're never living up to who we, we are meant to be. Now, I think that in a way that can be useful. Simone and I, we hold very high cultural expectations of ourselves. And I do, to some extent, always have some base level of shame because I'm, I'm never being the person I know I have the potential to be, which is who I expect myself to be. However, I think there's a big difference between this sort of like 10% shame all the time and like 80% shame all the time. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that's a good shame. Well, is and shame, shame can be very damaging, right? Like it's, it's discovered with a masturbation, for example, that when you are ashamed of it, when you think that it's a bad or evil thing, then you're really going to experience a lot of the negative effects of it. Whereas like, yeah, if you, you actually just... experience very few negative effects from masturbation, if you're not ashamed of it. And this mm -hmm. is just in the studies and you also will consume it more. So one of my favorite studies is if you look at like Pornhub by in, in, in sort of like Utah, by the percentage of conservative Mormons that area, it like goes up 
something more than I think it was, or it might've been Catholics in it. I can't remember. This study was either done with Mormons or Catholics, but it was looking at zip codes and porn consumption and religiosity. And the more religious people were, the higher the rates of porn consumption were. Now, part of me thinks that what this study is getting wrong is these are the people who don't know about like the truly kinky sites. And so they're going to Pornhub. They just don't know. They're not connoisseurs. That's the problem. Their friends aren't giving them good recommendations. It's very sad. But I mean, I think that the big takeaway here is, is one, we find that there's, there's a lot of, it's a lot easier to navigate your emotions when you understand the underpinnings and you can then affect the constraints. You can, you, you can affect the inputs and also understand them and act on them because often emotions are a sign that there's something, I mean, we see them as a signal that should be acted on or not acted on, but certainly a signal that's indicating a thing that you might want to know about. It's kind of like a pop-up window and you need to either exit out or be like, oh, I need to troubleshoot this issue. But the other thing is that like, you should learn to not feed some emotions, but also leverage other emotions, be it shame, be it joy, be it gratitude in a way that is instrumentally useful to you. And sadly, Malcolm, we must, well, not sadly, actually, we need to go indulge in the emotions of joy and gratitude and playfulness with our children now because it's daycare pickup time. But I love these conversations. And thank you for coming up with these fun theories. Like these have come up over the span of maybe like five years and they've, they've gotten more unique and interesting over time. And thank you for coming up with these fun things and inspiring all these amazing conversations. I love talking with you and I feel like they're only going to get better with each new year. So thank you. I for love existing. talking with you too, Simone. You are just the most amazing partner that you go through this stuff with me and you help keep me honest with myself and my expectations for myself. And you, you ensure that those expectations are always high. I, I keep your shame levels maximum. You're welcome. Isn't yeah, that what wives are all for, right? Constantly. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So what do you want to do for, I, I'd love it if you put on a pizza for me because I haven't done Oh my it. God, I'm doing pizza too. Yes. Okay. Pizza night, 100%. All right. See you soon. Yeah.